0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I've been around security for the last 20 years, and I have a lot of experience working for a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory for companies. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, i always intrigued to learn how companies start. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is also affiliated with the Security Architecture podcast. I have a pleasure today to talk to Masha from Elevate Security. Masha, can you please tell me about yourself and the company?
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show today. Really great to be here. So I'm the co-founder and president of Elevate Security. And Elevate, we've been around for six years, and we focus on solving the hardest unsolved problem in security, which is the human element. So we have a platform that helps measure and quantify user risk in organizations, essentially creating a security credit score for every employee in a company, and then giving security teams the tools to start acting on that risk by giving tailored feedback and notifications to employees all the way through creating adaptive controls and access levels for employees based on their level of risk. So it's a revolutionary way of thinking about adjusting security and making it highly tailored to each individual based on the individual level of risk that they pose. And in doing so, it helps us tackle the number one source of breaches, which is the human element. And uh, it's been a wild ride.
0: Sounds very interesting. We're very eager to learn more. Somehow, when you were talking about human element, my first idea was, does HR like to use the system and understand what else they can learn about the people?
1: You know, it's interesting. No one actually has ever given HR this data set, and it's very much a risk-oriented approach around in the same way that we think about credit scores around who we can trust with debt for our credit, we think about the same thing with security. And so HR only gets involved in our platform when every, everything else fails and this person needs to be removed from the company as the only security solution to protect it. But most of the time, HR focuses on just remediating extreme violations and everything up to that point lives closely into the security team.
0: Thank you. So, around seventy years ago, something happened in your life, and you were drinking wine, sitting near the beach, or no else, and you got an idea to start the company. So, walk yeah. me through what happened in your life when you had that move you and motivated you to start the company.
1: Yeah. So, for me, it wasn't just like a light bulb moment where I switched it. I've always had an entrepreneurial streak in my bones, and the way it showed up when I was joined Salesforce. I built and ran a team that didn't exist before. And I even in a large company, I was able to start carving out entrepreneurial skills in that capacity. And so that was one of my early indications around this, but I would say my journey to entrepreneurship was collecting the p- pieces of a puzzle. And over time, I remember feeling like I was collecting one puzzle piece into my basket until I actually got the whole picture. And I d- didn't entirely know what it was going to look like. I remember the first puzzle piece was, okay, so what is the problem I want to solve? And in my career, I have had the privilege and the opportunity of finding a unique intersection between behavioral science and security data sets. So how do we measure risky actions and then how do we take action and get people to change their behavior and pioneered a lot of thinking and created my personal brand around those intersections. So I had an understanding of, well, this is the problem space. and. I had an understanding of the market I wanted to go after, which was solving for user risk I started getting experience of what it's like to be a person who would consume this kind of technology. So I was exactly the role that I would like to sell to in the future. So all these pieces were coming together. The very last puzzle piece for me that kind of pushed me over the metaphorical cliff, if you will, was the co-founder piece. And I ended up having several really lovely conversations with my coworker at the time, Robert Fly, who was running the a lot of my counterpart security functions at Salesforce and learned that he was also looking to do something in the entrepreneurial space. He was looking for an idea, but came to the table with a lot of VC connections, had experience advising a lot of startups, so understood a little bit of the operational aspect of security. Plus also was a really great match from a security data set and architecture perspective to my behavioral science and human element. And between the idea in my experience is a, in solving the user risk problem and his experience in entrepreneurship and security startups we we realized that this was something we wanted to try and once I ultimately found the co-founder piece that was the last puzzle piece of my the picture I was putting together and I knew that I basically at this point had no more excuses to not do it and I took the leap and I remember the turning point where I realized Uh, the last thing that was missing was my willingness and my commitment to to leave a very comfortable job and take the leap into entrepreneurship
0: so you have an idea you have a co-founder you're set to go but you need to validate that somebody actually going to buy your solution so yeah how's the market validation market research when to understand that somebody will buy
1: yeah so there's a couple of things and i feel like we did market validation two-thirds of the way there and that is not close enough so we took a look and said you know the user risk element of security is the number one reason the attackers are getting it. Look at the Verizon data breach report. We talked to tons of CISOs. We had a large community of CISOs, and not just people who would tell us, "Hey, that's a great idea," but we would ask them, "Hey, you know, is user risk a problem? If we could solve it for you, is that something that you would invest in?" And there was, we were getting a lot of positive feedback. It's like, "Yep, I don't have a solution that I'm happy with." My traditional training vendors aren't working. I'm interested in a solution that w- would change this landscape. So we're getting a lot of positive feedback. The piece we missed, and this might be foreshadowing of our, the dark side conversations later, is identifying the person who has the right amount of budget to spend on this. And so while we identified a problem and the person who had this with the CISO, who obviously when a person clicks on a phishing link and compromises a company down the road, the CISO gets fired as a scapegoat. So they have the pain point, but the person who actually holds the budget the selling directly to a CISO it is a very hard market to go after. So we identified the pain in the industry and we got the buy-in that security teams had this pain point, but it took us quite a long time to figure out who ultimately is our internal champion beyond the CISO. And that, and we'll talk about later about how that- yep. It led to many pivots in the company.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, we'll table it. Everybody's listening. Wait for it. We'll get there. Promise. You got an idea. You get marketing validation. Do you go and raise money or do you go hire people and try to bootstrap and create a product?
1: Yeah. So... We raise money on a PowerPoint, which is the benefit of being in the cybersecurity space where there's a lot of interest and money available. I don't know that we would be able to do the similar kind of move anywhere else, but the PowerPoint was, hey, this is what we want to build. But to be clear, the thing that we wanted to build based on the PowerPoint was leveraging a lot of our experience of what we had done initially at Salesforce. So we were able to point to the work that we had done, the program we had built, some of the metrics we had seen internally in the company to be able to say, We would like to expand beyond this idea and we've seen it work in this company this is why we think it's worth leaving our day jobs for. And building it out at scale for an enterprise and that was a solid enough story for us to raise an initial seed round of 2 million. And start putting together essentially the first early days concept of what we wanted to be building and one of the things I learned at that time from a VC perspective is it's the founding team the market size, and the product that you're building are the three factors that they consider And almost every round. There's slightly different things that get added later on, like profitability, but when you first start the company, they value the team first and foremost, they value the market second, and then the product is third. The idea here is that an A team with a B idea will always surpass A idea with a B team. So coming in, coming to the table with saying we're the two industry experts with this. And we had a track record of I was teaching classes at Black Hat for this and speaking at conferences. Robert holds many patents, is a founder of Cloud Security Alliance. There's we had we were highly credentialed in this space. And doing so coming to the table and saying this is a problem we want to solve, and there's no two better people to solve it was a good enough story for VCs to say, yep, yeah, we're interested and we'll give you some money to start.
0: Sweet. now have money i guess you're hiring people and developing product how -hmm. long it took you to get out with the product
1: so we raised money in finished we got money in our account in april and we shipped a product in december we had our first customer in december i would have done it differently if i could go back at what i would have done and spend a little bit more time on discovery back to the point where we built a product that we built what we wanted to build, actually, but I it turns out it was not the right thing to build at the time, right? We ended up building a highly interactive game that got people to think about security differently. If you go to the Elevate Security website now, you will find no evidence of that because we do user risk quantification. And I think if we had spent a little bit of time actually diving in and saying, what is the biggest gap that we need to solve for? I think we would have gotten to user risk quantification faster and earlier. in the And process. you learn this
0: from the customers or by yourself or by mistakes? Like how do you guide the ideas that need to change?
1: We've learned this through customers. We learned it through the pandemic <laughs> and the pandemic did a really incredible thing for us in which it got, made us very clear around the difference between things that are nice to have versus must have. And a highly interactive security game is a nice to have. And when you enter a pandemic or a recession, nice to have budget disappears. Where user risk quantification and understanding exactly which users are going to be the ones who introduce a vulnerability in your organization and an incident in your organization, much less nice to have. In fact, is is, is beginning to be a must-have for a lot of regulated industries, but and also more innovative CISOs. So getting to the place where we're creating a platform that isn't discretionary spent. And that was probably the biggest pivot in the company was realizing what can we do with what we currently have, which was an understanding of the security decisions people are making, and how do we provide something that is a must have value for organizations? And I think if we had spent some, a little bit of time in the beginning back to the first question you asked around when did we shift product, we had spent more, some more time in discovery and questioning what we were building right out of the gate, I think we probably would have paused on the development of this interactive game, which still holds a very near and dear place in my heart. Highly effective at behavior change, but ultimately didn't get to the market need and the business need.
0: so the question I ask people, if you can go five years ago, when we started, what would you change? Would this will be changed or would you change something else in general?
1: Yeah, I would have spent a little bit more time on personas.
0: Define persona. I
1: would have changed two things. I would have spent more time understanding personas. And it's not just who has budget, but how hard is it to get meetings with people, right? There are certain people who are never sold to, but also they don't have a lot of budget, which is why they're not sold to. And there's people who have lots of budget, but are impossible to get a meeting with. And so finding the right person in a company to sell to, not just, hey, we sell to enterprises, but we sell to this person, this kind of person in the company, and this is the things that they really struggle with so that we're solving for their specific pain point versus a broader scent was a, a lesson that, that we learned sort of the hard way. The second lesson I had was around category creation user risk management is not a category that exists and while it is an absolute need in the market right and has been for decades it's not a solved problem and no one doubts whether or not it needs to be solved it feels if you're the only one doing it you're either the smartest person in the room or the dumbest person in the room and creating not just a new iteration on a feature set but a whole new way of approaching security is a very tall hill to climb. I wish I just understood the challenge. It wouldn't change our trajectory. This is the problem I want to solve. And I would quit my job a thousand times over to solve it, but yeah, I would definitely, I wish i tell myself about what it means to create a category.
0: Smart. I spend a lot of time helping customers, enterprise customers with different vendors. And I started between categories and subcategories, and we got to the point we had more than 120 different categories in the different products and it's still growing and probably don't have everything there so it's yeah it's quite hard yeah with running a company there's a lot of tasks a lot of things you need to do between production sales development how do you keep track on the important one how do you prioritize to make sure you're doing the right stuff and not the stuff that's wasting your time
1: yeah that's a great question i mean this is ultimately skills like what's urgent and what's imp- What's important, and there's a lot of things that are urgent, but it really helps understanding what, where are you trying to get to and never losing sight of it. And at the end of the day, this is, there's two major pieces. It's creating a product that says, that does what it says it's going to do, but I should caveat that the MVP of that, (laughs) what is the minimal thing you could over engineer, but, and then finding the people to buy that and focusing on revenue and ensuring that you're actually building something that people are paying for. That's, that's it. Like that's the highest point of this. And where it's easy to get distracted is in marketing, right? It's so easy to be so busy and speak at all these conferences and have all these booths and have all these activities. And yet at the end of the day, turn around and saying, yeah, everyone knows our name, but no one's buying us, right? You have not succeeded in the goal. Or if you have a lot of people who are buying you and then quitting your platform a year later, you have failed to deliver on the promises that you've said that you're going to do. So, those are the two critical pieces that you're constantly asking for. It's like, am I selling? And starting a security company, you move away from security and you move much more into sales. And you become a salesperson first and foremost because ultimately you're trying to put out into the world something you've created and and it doesn't matter if you have the right the perfectly right computer product if no one's using it so i would say first and foremost yeah. that the biggest in north star is are you getting this into the hands of the people who actually need it
0: so i'm gonna piggyback on the promises part chicken or the egg do you tell the customer we already have something you didn't create it or you only tell the customer what you have and push this even so the customer may ask hey do you have this feature But you don't have it, you're going to have it in maybe a couple of months.
1: Yeah, this is a really tricky question. And if there's any customers or future customers around this, I just wanted to share that the life of an entrepreneur is understanding what is the right thing you're going to build. And if you only sell the things you've already built, it's too late, right? Because how do you know that it's the right thing? So there's a thousand tests that we do all the time to figure out Am I moving in the right direction? Is there enough market here for me to justify it? I'll give you my favorite book on this topic for anyone who's entrepreneur to be or current entrepreneur is called The Right It. And it's all about, it's a concept called predotyping So how do you put something out before you even prototype? It's, it's pretotype. And an example of what, my, my favorite example of, of this is what IBM did before they started investing in a voice to speech computer and capability, which as you can imagine, is Quite an investment is they put a person into a giant box who proceeded to type whatever someone was speaking into the box, and then that would come printed out. But there's a live person just audio like speech to text, but typing it out. And they wanted to see how people would use this kind of capability. And while it sounded really nifty on paper, and people were like that's so cool, you should do it. <laughs> when people interacted with it, it they're like, I you know, I don't really know what to do with this. Like, I'm going to go back to writing, like, I can't code with this. And it's harder to search with this. And so it ended up being an incredibly successful pretotype without the what would have been millions of dollars to develop something like this. And so back to your question, Evgenia, is how much do we sell versus we don't sell? So there's there's both the ability to say, hey, if we put this out in the market, would you buy this? And we usually try to be quite transparent around saying, this is what we currently have. And this is where our roadmap is. And these are our expectations and timeline to deliver that. And does that work for you? And usually there's a level of transparency where we say, this works out of the box and this is where we're going. But as an entrepreneur, we're always looking for that kind of market
0: validation. Great. We're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about the dark side. For everybody still listening, please continue listening, comment, share. The dark side is open right now. There are some ideas to close the dark side for patron only, but for now it's open. So tell us about the dark stories. What didn't go well? Could be customers, POCs, VCs, whatever you think you want to share. You definitely don't mention names, but it's definitely interesting to understand not just the positive thing, but also how you cope with problems and get back on your feet and so
1: on. It. Yeah, it's a good question. probably would start... Telling you about our first fundraising story, I just said, "Hey, we put a PowerPoint deck together and we got funding." I'm gonna unpack that a little bit. So the very first person we pitched from a VC perspective was really into the idea, and was like, "I'd like to write your check." I'm like, "Oh, that was so easy. We're gonna like hold off on that and talk to a whole bunch of other VCs and get the comparable deal sheets." And then we proceeded to get no for three months. At which point, the first investor was like, you know, I've lost interest We walked away. So we got a little bit too cocky with our ability to fundraise. And we got down to our final five investors. And so there's one that we really wanted to work with. And we proceeded to pitch them. And it was just an off day. Sometimes you nail your pitch and sometimes it's just... You it, you're, you trip over it and maybe it was this high stakes of the situation, but it was probably one of the worst pitches we've ever done. And we were getting to like the bottom of our VC list and then Robert and I left the pitch meeting and we walked across the street and I remember sitting on the curb across from this VC office, just in Palo Alto, sitting on the curb and just really dejected. I'm like, well, that's like, what are we going to do now? He's like, well, maybe I'll go. Robert had some offers to be CISOs at different places like Stripe and Dropbox. He's like, maybe I'll go revisit those opportunities. And I remember just feeling like there was no way we're going to get funding, another funding opportunity. And lo and behold, that company, that venture capital firm, gave us a call and said, you know what, we we see where you're going. Yeah, that wasn't a great pitch, but we see where you're going. We've done a lot of background and due diligence and... We want to get behind you and that was incredible but i remember just sitting on the curb in palo alto just realizing that there was just thinking that we were not going to get this funding that was a really low point and i'm trying to think of other good categories we firmly believe you do right by the customer and sometimes the first step of doing right by a customer is getting on a call and having them vent about things that weren't going right right so the first platform we had was a training platform. Uh, And there was an error around people scheduling and calendars, right? Which again, didn't go great. And our buyer at the time called us and for half an hour, just nonstop swearing. And you just sit there and you say, yeah, yep, you're right. Yes. And then you make it right. And then we proceeded to handhold the deployment internationally we were up at two or three in the morning ensuring every one of those training sessions was correct and went perfectly to make it right but which also you know it kind of feels like a little bit of penance getting up at three in the morning to to make sure deployment goes right when it doesn't the first time but you do it you do what you need to do but yeah being on the receiving end of of an early customer who has discovered a feature you should have ca- a bug that, that you should have caught in Q&A. I should note for the listeners this was in our first year of deployment. We have we now since then have Q&A. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting
0: stories. Is there a technique or something you do when the day doesn't go well or you like something doesn't work? Like how do you get back to yourself? What do you do? Help?
1: Mm-hmm. So I have a mantra that I repeat to myself quite often. This too shall pass. And I do it not just on the bad days, but I do it on the really good days because neither the really highs nor the really lows are permanent and it's, they will all pass. And it's just important to remember in the times when you've had a really bad low that the sun came out the next day and just remembering that aspect of it. I have a little bit on the highs and lows and I'm sure most entrepreneurs who get on the call will probably say this as well. People tell you about the roller coaster of startups. The thing that caught me off guard around this is the speed with which they happened. Like you will go through in a day, these highs and lows every hour. So one meeting, you're, you have an investor who says, we're going to give you millions of dollars. And then you have your top account turn on you. And then you have the money show up in your account. And then you have your your like... Key engineer quit, and then you win an award for best culture. Whatever, like, And all of that can happen in a day, right? And so your highs and lows are it's just packed in such a small window of time. And every day is like that. And just not to say that people who work in larger companies don't have highs and lows, but I remember when I was working at Salesforce, for me, those the peaks and troughs would expand over a month, what happens for me in a day. And so there's just a lot of volatility and emotional news. And it's just an understanding that this too will pass and the way that I get back to myself on a really bad day, I'll go for like a really hard exercise, like a really fast run or some intense weightlifting. I also do a lot of meditation, but that usually has to happen after after some intense physical output to sort of level set and come back to myself. So between those two, it really helps get back to center.
0: Thank you. I think it was a lot of information, good information, different information that I myself got in the past. So thank you for being here. Anything else you want to add?
1: I just want to do a call out for anybody who's listening to this. If you are interested in starting your own company, it's an incredible ride. It's so hard to be clear, but it's a level of, I would say, aliveness to be able to put something out into the world that didn't exist before and to be on the, Leading edge of constantly asking how do we put something out, how do we make this industry better this problem better, how do I solve for something big and meaningful, whatever that is to you, is so satisfying it's a level of gives you a level of purpose around work that I personally have never been able to find in a larger organization. And while it is a lot of, like I said, it's a lot of time and grit and and energy, it's highs and this fulfillment that comes out of it is deeply meaningful. So if you have an instinct to go do this, I would encourage you to jump. And if you want to, and if you're not totally sure, join a startup first and then go do your
0: own. Good idea. Thank you, everyone that's listening. Please continue to subscribe and comment and share. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Masha. Thank
1: you.